Yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the train is building up ahead of steam. So grab your ticket. It's free. Get on board. This train will be picking up passengers along the way. Taking you on a sports journey. So, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome into the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast on a late night, Friday night slash Saturday morning. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. I guess you can call this my Final Four edition, but there is so much more to get to. There is so much that has happened this week. The start of Major League Baseball, and in some instances, I guess you can say it got off, it started off in a bang. But at the same time, COVID also reared its ugly head with postponement of a game. We have the women's final four who advanced, who suffered heartbreak. We got the men's final four coming up today, later today. So there is a lot to get to. But what I want to go ahead and start with in, I want to start in on the women's. I'll get to some major league baseball, but I want to get to the women. Because we don't show enough love to the women, whether it's either on a podcast or even on the national level. And I want to be one of the ones that do shed some light. I am going to go ahead and give you the scores and we will get back to the games. But I want to look at the best player in women's college basketball history at every jersey number. So I guess I'll table the scores right now. I want to get into this because I've seen some very interesting figures on here. One of them that I had a chance to see play a few times. She's from a little small town in Kansas. How she got away from the state of Kansas, made her market. At the time, it was Southwest Missouri State. So they were known as SMS. Some people call them SWOMO. They're now known as Missouri State. So let's look at this. Sometimes players pick specific jersey numbers. They're even superstitious about it. Other times they just stick with what is given to them. Either way, their numbers become a part of their identity. As we await the 2021 NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, here's some numerology of sorts. You look at the best players at each 
of the 37 jersey numbers allowed in college hoops from the AIAW and NCAA eras. So let's get this ball to roll. While there were various types of women's basketball teams and competitions throughout the 20th century, the modern college game, as we know it, dates to the late 1960s. The first AIAW tournament was in 1972. In 1982, both the NCAA and AIAW had tournaments, but it was just the NCAA from then on. There are separate national record books for those who spent all or most of their careers in either AIAW or NCAA. But individual schools generally combine both in their records. References made here to All-Americans or specifically those on the women's <clears throat> basketball. Coaches Association's yearly 10-member teams, which began in 1974-75. Some very good players missed this list because there was so much competition at their jersey number. Even current players made the grade. So let's start. Double zero, Ruth Riley, Notre Dame, 1970, 1997-2001. Na- <clears throat> Naz Hillman, <clears throat> Michigan, 2018, the present. Shantinks Polk, Arizona, 2002-2005. Michelle Snow, Tennessee, 1998. 2002, Tracy Reed, North Carolina, 1994-1998, Akeisha Frett, Georgia, 1993-97, Sylvia Crawley, North Carolina, 1990-94. It's not really a widely used number, but it's bigger, it's biggest success is with post players. Coach Muffet McGraw got lost in the cornfields trying to find Riley's tiny town in Indiana during recruiting. But the six foot five center found her way to South Bend, Indiana, leading the Irish to their first NCAA title in 2001 as the Final Four's most outstanding player. She was WNBA Finals MVP in 2003 for Detroit and won Olympic gold in 2004. Crawley, part of the Tar Heels' 1994 NCAA title team, and Snow also were centers and both could dunk. Polk, another center, died from a blood clot at the age 22 a few months before her senior season. Reed, a wing, helped North Carolina win three ACC tournament titles and was WNBA's first rookie of the year in 1998. Hillman, a junior forward, is the current Big Ten Player of the Year and is Michigan's first Associated Press All-American. Her mother, Nishima Hillman, wore number four at Vanderbilt in the 1990s. The number zero, Odyssey Sims, Baylor, 2010-2014. to 
others that have also wore the number zero. Marina Davis, Tennessee, 2017 to 21. Satu Sabali, Oregon, 2017 to 2020. Michaela Pivik, Oregon State, 2016 to 2020. Chantel Azahor, Washington, 2013 to 17. Olympia Scott Stanford, 1994 to 1998. Zero has been used more in recent years. It fit well for players such as Sims, Scott, Azahor, whose first or last name started with the letter Z, letter O, and for Sabali and Pivik, whose schools did. Sims, a guard now with the Atlanta Dream, combined with center Brittany Griner to help lead Baylor to a 40-0 championship season in 2012. As a senior in 2014, Sims averaged 28.5 points per game. Sabali helped Oregon to its first women's Final Four in 2019 and was the number two pick by Dallas in the 2020 WNBA draft. Davis is expected to be a WNBA first-round draft pick this year. Number one, Crystal Langhorn, Maryland, 2004 to 2008. Also, Dana Evans, Louisville, 2017-2021. Tori Jankoska, Michigan State, 2013-17. Alexis Peterson, Syracuse, 2013-17. Rachel Bonham, Minnesota, 2011-2016. Elizabeth Williams, Duke, 2011 to 15. Adia Mathis, Kentucky, 2009 to 13. Shavante Zellius, Pittsburgh, 2005 2009. Katie Geralds, Purdue, 2003 to 2007. Misty Bias, Duke, 2002 to 06. Langhorn, a forward center, is second to Alyssa Thomas at Maryland in career points, 2,247, and rebounds, 1,229, and is first in career field goal percentage, 65.2. She led Maryland in scoring 17.2 points a game and rebounding 8.6 in its 2006 national championship season. After a 13-season NBA, WNBA career, winning two titles with Seattle Storm. She recently retired. Bonham, 3,093, is one of 13 women in NCAA era to score at least 3,000 points. And the guard's 60-point performance in 2016 is tied with Long Beach State's Cindy Brown, 1987, for the Division I single-game scoring record. Evans is the reigning two-time ACC Player of the Year and is expected to be a first-round WNBA draft pick. Number two. Jane 
Appel, Stanford. And when I say number two, these are the jersey numbers, 2006 to 2010. Also wearing that number, R.M. McDonald, Arizona, 2017 to 21. Morgan William, Mississippi State, 2014 to 2018. Luella Thomason, St. Mary's, 2017 to 2011. Erlana Larkins, North Carolina, 2003 to 2007. Tammy James, Miami, 2002 to 2006. Tamika Johnson, LSU, 2001 to 2005. From the 6-4 center appeal to the 5-2 guard William, the Deuces have had some big NCAA tournament moments. Appel led the Cardinal to the Final Four three times, and her 46 points in the 2009 Elite Eight is Stanford's single-game high. William hit the overtime jump shot that beat UConn in the 2017 National Semifinals, ending the Huskies' 111-game winning streak and also helped Mississippi State reach the 2018 NCAA final. She's the Bulldogs' career-leading scorer in free throw percentage, 84.7. Larkins went to the school 2000. Went, Larkins went to the 2006 and 2007 Final Fours with UNC. Fellow forward Thomason, 663. The second in Division I history to Baylor's Brittany Griner in total block shots and leads in blocks per game career average 5.3. McDonald is the current Pac-12 Player of the Year and is expected to be a WNBA first-round pick. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back with more of that at a later time. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a pause. And when I come back, I will look at the women's final four. So stay tuned to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I'll be back after these messages. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options: ninety-nine cents a month, four ninety-nine a month, or nine ninety-nine a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.cakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey 
Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back. And we are getting into episode two and, you know, my mind just be racing every which way. And I said I was going to get into some scores, which I am going to get into some scores. I mean, there's not that many scores to get into. Yes, we are going to talk a little bit of Major League Baseball because some things happen on opening day. But kind of want to look at some more of these uh, uh, best player in women's, in women's college basketball history at every jersey number, even though it says every jersey number. Trust me, I'm not going to go through all this because that would take a whole podcast session and that would drag this thing out from an hour to possibly three hours and I am not an overnight radio host. I am a podcaster and I'm pretty sure some of y'all have better things to do than to listen at me for three hours and I don't have enough sponsors to fill in three hours but I'm working on that so be on the lookout for some sponsors to be sponsoring this podcast not me later I talked with a person just yesterday and the vibes is good so I will be doing a next month also let me just go ahead and give this disclaimer I reached out to the guy I had on he's a very profound speaker former basketball coach he speaks very strongly on mental health issues he's someone who has dealt with depression and unless you just really know it you never knew it but it just goes to show that depression and mental health issues hit in all forms of life talking about mark potter next month is mental health awareness month so i will have him on a couple of times even though he's a very busy man he has given me his word and that's what i like, like about him he is a man of his word if he says he's going to do something he's going to do it so shout out to mark potter for wanting for let me reach out to him and give me his word that he'll be glad to do that uh also let me just go ahead and throw this out there uh thc the health connection which is a local store here in wichita I talked with the owner, and she's elated to one day be on the show as well, talk about the the Health Connection store and the products they sell. She's also interested in sponsoring this show. So that's just a little heads up. want to say thank you in advance. So now let me get back into this because we are going to talk about the Women's Final Four after a few more of these rundowns here. So how about the number three, the jersey number three, and the first name that pops to mind, Diana Taurasi, UConn, 2002 to 2004. But there are also some others that wore that name. Kennedy Carter, Texas A&M, 2017 to 2020. Sophie Cunningham from Missouri, 2015-2019. Jordan Canada, UCLA, 2014-2018. Kelsey Mitchell. Ohio State, 2018 to 
2014 to 2018, Courtney Paris, Oklahoma. 2005 to 2009, Candace Parker, Tennessee. Who remember, I know y'all remember that name. 2004 to 2008. How about Nicole Odie, Kansas State University, 2000 to 2004. That's when Kansas State was on their little run there. Marie Ferdinand, LSU, 1997 to 2001. Shalonda Enos, Alabama, 1995 to 1997. Michelle Marciniak, Tennessee, 1993 to 1996. Sheila Etheridge, Louisiana Tech, 1987 to 1991. Andrea Congrevis Mercer, 1989 to 1993. Now we're talking about the big leagues of numbers. With two superstars who wore, who wore, who were each twice named Final Four most outstanding player and are still playing in the WNBA. UConn coach Gino Orema thought Tarasi Agar could be the Babe Ruth of women's hoops. Thus, she wore number three and won three NCAA championships. With the Phoenix Mercury, she has three NBA titles and four Olympic gold medals. Parker, a forward center who is now with the Chicago Sky, opted for number three as an Allen Iverson fan and led Tennessee to the 2007-2008 National Championships. She won the 2016 WNBA title with the law with Los Angeles and has two Olympic goals. Paris, a center, is the Division I leader in total rebounds with 2034. Mitchell, a guard with Indiana with the Indiana Fever, is second in NCAA career points with 3,402. The number four, Skylar Diggins, Notre Dame, 2009-2013. Others that have also worn that number four, Mariah Jefferson, UConn, 2012-2016. Taylor Hill, Ohio State, 2009-2013. Candace Dupree, Temple, 2002-2006. Kim Smith, Utah, 2002-2006. Janelle McCarville, Minnesota, 2001-2005. Stacy Freeze, Iowa State, 1996-2000. Rosemary Kozarek, West Virginia, 1989-1992. Penny Toller, Long Beach State, 1986-1989. Jasmina Parazic, Maryland, 1979-1983. The Irish won a national championship in 2001, but hometown hero Diggins of South Florida, of South Bend, really brought a swagger and confidence in three Final Four appearances. That further elevated Notre Dame. Diggins, now with the Phoenix Mercury, is second at Notre Dame in points 2,357, third in assists 745, and first in steals 381. Jefferson, now with the Dallas Wings, was part of a, a four national championship team at UConn and is the school's all-time assist leaders. Assist leader at 659. So now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to 
give you two more, the number five, and I'm going to go down to the number 10, and then we're going to talk some women's Final Four action because the action was hot and heavy last night. Games went down to the wire. It was like a heavyweight fight in both games. Games that if you – I'm just going to throw this out. If you do not enjoy a good women's basketball game, you are not a basketball fan. That's my take. The way those women play, and we we know when you we when you talk college basketball, you think of first of all you think of Pat Summit, Tennessee. Then you start talking UConn women's basketball, Gino Ariema. And that's where it stopped at. But now, you look at South Carolina. You look at Stanford. You get the picture. It's now you're beginning to know these teams, but there were teams that were the headlines. There was the Tennessee era. Then there's the UConn era. But now there are other teams catching up, putting their names. You got your Notre Dames. You have your South Carolinas. It's because you got the right coaches in place, and they are now speaking up, promoting their brand. So after I give you these last two popular jersey numbers, and like I said, there's more to it, but due to time constraints and what I want to get into, I'm going to cut this short so we can get into the next phase. So the number five, Teresa Edwards, Georgia, 1982, 1986. Crystal Dangerfield, UConn. Notice how UConn players happen to have popped up in all these numbers thus far, it seems like. That's that program. That's that brand. Crystal Dangerfield, UConn, 2016-2020. Jackie Young, Notre Dame, 2016-2019. Essence Carson, Rutgers, 2004-2008. Yukari Figs, Purdue, 1995-1999. Keisha Ford, Georgia Tech, 1993-1997. Betty Fiscus, Arkansas, 1981 to 1985. Angela Turner, Louisiana Tech, 1978 to 1982. Tough call between Turner and Edwards. That could go either way. Edwards had the more decorated overall career, playing in five Olympics, the first while still in college in 1984, and winning four gold medals. She averaged 15.5 points per game, 5.1 assists per game at Georgia, going to the Final Four in 1983 and 1985. But Turner, 14.8 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, was a key part of of a Louisiana Tech juggernaut that won national championships in the AIAW in 1981 and the NCAA in 1982 and she also went to two final fours figs was most outstanding player in the 1999 final four when purdue 
one is championship. And we're going to conclude this with the jersey number 10. Here goes that name, Sue Bird. What school? Yep, you guessed it. UConn, 1982 to 2000, 1998 to 2002. Others have also worn that number. Ryan Howard, Kentucky, 2018 to present. And she is a baller. Don't forget the name, Ryan Howard. She is a baller. Megan Gustafsson, Iowa, 2015-2019. Kelsey Plum, Washington, 2013 to 2017. Lindsey Harding, Duke, 2002 to 2007. Andrea Riley, Oklahoma State, 2006 to 2010. How about this one? The little girl from Claflin, Kansas. Put that little old town in Kansas on the map. Got away from the state of Kansas, went to Missouri State. We're talking about none other than Jackie Styles. 1997 to 2001. Dominique Canty, Alabama, 1995 to 1999. Morel Page, Florida, 1994 to 1998. Christy Smith, Arkansas, 1994 to 1998. Jamila Wideman, Stanford, 1994 to 1996. Pokey Chapman, LSU, 1987 to 1991. Jennifer, Jennifer Ozzie, 1986 to 1990. Nancy Lieberman, legendary Nancy Lieberman. Old Dominion, that was another story college back in the day, 1976 to 1980. This is the greatest guard number in college women's hoop history. Two point, two post, Gustafsson and Page got in. But 10 is celebration of perimeter prowess and has more Wade Trophy winners, five with six awards, than any number. Lieberman twice, Ozzy, Bird, Styles, and Plum. Two-time NCAA champion Bird has four WNBA titles, four Olympic gold medals, and is still playing at 40. Lieberman won two AIAW titles and has the nation's top point guard award named after her. The numbers one and three division one career scoring leaders are Plum with 3,527 and Styles 3,393. Ozzy, the 1990 Final Four, most outstanding player, led Stanford to his first NCAA title. Like I said, there's a lot more, but I want to go ahead and get into the games that were played. So what I want to do is take a look here at the 
what went down Friday night? So let's hear a little bit of audio. on this so let's bring in the hall of famer rebecca lobo who joins us now from san antonio uh rebecca let's start with arizona's defense they held you kind of 36 percent shooting why were they so effective in limiting the huskies that's what they do that's what arizona does they play a stifling man-to-man defense they have the best defender in the pac-12 conference and ari mcdonald they put her on page becker she got a lot of attention from the other defenders from arizona as well but they make your life difficult on the defensive end they send traps they rotate on the backside. connecticut is a rhythm offensive team and they were never able to find that rhythm connecticut is a team that leads the nation in assists per game they were never Never able to find those open passes and those open looks for their teammates. Arizona just was everywhere defensively. A phenomenal job limiting the Huskies. And then defensively, Rebecca, Connecticut had to know that job one was stopping Aaron McDonald. Not only did they not do that, she scored 26, but her teammates really helped out. Why were they able to execute so effectively offensively? Well, Connecticut knew it was job one, two, and three. It doesn't mean that they were able to do it. I mean, Ari McDonald is a special player. At 5'6", she is one of the quickest guards in the nation. She can create her own shot. We saw tonight pretty much everything that she can do on the offensive end. She loves to go left, but she scored when she went right. She hit NBA range three. She posted up Paige Beckers for one of her buckets. She showed off everything that she is able to do, but it wasn't just her. There were times this season where Arizona struggled because Aries' teammates waited for her to get going. And tonight, when they had open looks and when they had opportunities, all of her teammates around her were able to step up and hit shots as well. This team has come so far from the beginning of the season till now. Of course, it starts with Aerie McDonald, but her supporting cast has been really good. Sports Center on the Road is presented by Rocket Mortgage. So, yes, two number one seeds fell Friday night in the 2021 Women's Final Four. Now, two Pac-12 teams are headed to Sunday's national championship game. Behind a smothering defense and 26 points from senior point guard Ari McDonald. And I just wonder where she's going to go in the WNBA draft because she is a baller, too. Remember that name, Ari McDonald. If you, if you forget, I'll remind you. She can ball. Third seed Arizona upset number one seed UConn 69-59 as the Huskies lost in the national semifinals for the fourth consecutive NCAA tournament. Paige Beckers had 18 points and wrapped up her freshman season with 108 points in the NCAA tournament. I want to go back, though, and say something that Rebecca Lobo had mentioned. Uh, She said, this Arizona team has come a long ways from the beginning of the season. This starts with Ari McDonald, but she said for a while, it would be the Ari McDonald show while the rest of the team just watched and waited for her to make things happen. Whereas they said in this game, everybody got going. That's what UConn does. That's what UConn brings out of you. Wherever UConn women's go, that's like a national title game for the opposing team. 
So, Stanford, the overall number one seed, awaits after beating number one seed South Carolina, 66-65, on Friday in San Antonio. It's the first time two Pac-12 teams will face off in the final and the first championship game featuring two schools west of the Mississippi River since 1986. Just 0.6% of all brackets in the Women's Tournament Challenge correctly picked Stanford and Arizona to meet Sunday at the Alamo Dome. Of those brackets, 59.2% tapped Stanford to win it all. The Cardinal went 2-0 against the Wildcats in the regular season. How will that impact the title game? Can Arizona pull another upset? So, Arizona pulled the upset of the tournament. Will the Wildcats, whose defense held UConn to a season low 22 points, at halftime and more turnovers, nine, than made field goals, eight, in the first two quarters, have any gas left in the tank after an emotionally and physically exhausting semifinal? Let me answer that question first before I give you these other answers. Will they have enough gas left in the tank? Well, they're resting today. They're resting physically. They're resting mentally. Trust me, when they wake up Sunday morning, knowing the task that at hand at 6 o'clock Eastern that evening. Their mind is back in game mode. By the time they hit the arena, they're ready to play. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The old adage is it's hard to beat one team three times in the season. And you have an Arizona team that felt slighted in the first place because when they played the video of the final four teams, there was on a video of three teams and Arizona was not one of them. That's the equivalent of saying something. It ends up being bulletin board print on the opposing team's locker room. So the Wildcats will be firing heading into Sunday's title game because they take their cues from coach Adia Barnes who seems calm and confident all the time. And let me just add, Ari McDonald, she seems calm and confident all the time too. And when you have a coach and your team's point guard on the same page, emotionally, that makes a world of difference. Her demeanor never seemed to change on the sidelines against UConn. For 40 minutes, she gave off an air of positivity. Barnes' relaxed approach to every huddle kept her team in the moment. The Wildcats seemed to be enjoying what they were doing rather than thinking about what it meant. That all comes from Barnes. Arizona did something Friday that most thought impossible. Hold the Huskies to fewer than 60 points. There might not have been one moment in this game when it felt like the Huskies were going to win. Arizona controlled this game from the outset and did it with defense. A UConn team that led the country with nearly 52% shooting percentage shot 35.7%. It also helped to have the tournament's best player clean up on when a play needs to be made. Having a player rolling like McDonald takes the pressure off everyone else. 
Her two early three-pointers sent a message to not only the Huskies, but also her teammates. A wave of confidence flowed through the entire team after that. McDonald's play all night and her 26 total points helped keep that optimism high. While I am confident Arizona will have plenty of energy for the championship game, history can always find a caveat. In 2017, Mississippi State executed a great defensive game plan against UConn in the Final Four, held the Huskies to 64 points and a stunning overtime upset, and couldn't recover for the championship game. The Bulldogs looked gassed two nights later, and South Carolina beat them fairly easily for the title. The difference here is how Arizona won. The Wildcats weren't fighting UConn on every possession in the fourth quarter like Mississippi State was. They also didn't win the game on a buzzer beating shot like the one the Bulldogs' Morgan William hit. Arizona was clearly the better team on Friday night for the entire 40 minutes. So there's that take on Arizona's chances to win this game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pause right here. But I'm going to throw this question out. And this will help lead into the next segue. Stanford has set a record for most three-pointers in a single women's NCAA tournament hitting 55, hitting over hitting 55 over five games. The Cardinal also out-rebounded South Carolina for most of the game. How important are both those stats against Arizona in the title game? I have the answer for you when I come back out of this break. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back. And I left you with this question. Stanford has set a record for most three-pointers. In a single women's NCAA tournament, hitting 55 over five games. The Cardinal also have out-rebounded South Carolina for most of the game. How important are both those stats against Arizona in the title game? Well, Stanford has been a great three-point shooting team all season. Cardinal entered Friday's game averaging 9.1, made three-pointers per game, but only attempted eight versus South Carolina, making five. Stanford was averaging 23.6 three-point attempts coming into the game. Stanford managed to pull out the one-point win against the Gamecocks, even without one of its main weapons, but it will likely be a major focus of Stanford in the national championship game. Keanu Williams has been Stanford's leading three-point shooter this season, but she had a rough night shooting Friday, going 4 of 14 
from the field and missing her only three-point attempt. Hannah Jump is the Cardinals' second best from long range with 57 this season. The jump played only two minutes Friday, which is reflective of Stanford's depth and the fact that she probably wasn't the best matchup defensively with South Carolina. So it could be a different-looking game Sunday against Arizona, and three-pointers could be a much bigger factor for the Cardinals. Of course, rebounding is important because it can set up so many other areas that make Stanford so good. The transition game, controlling the tempo, creating more opportunities. Even many of those three-point shots come as a result of controlling the glass. Stanford finished the game with 24 second-chance points, matching the total that Gamecocks had allowed in their first four NCAA tournament games combined. That's the stat that had the biggest impact on the game. Stanford turned those trips down the floor into longer possessions. That put increased pressure on the South Carolina defense and removed pressure on Stanford to make every play perfect. Look at how aggressively Lexi Hall kept driving to the basket. She ended up 4 of 17 from the field, but she was confident that the Cardinal could get any misses. The single biggest play of the game was a second-chance opportunity with 30 sec- 32 seconds remaining. Hedy Jones recovered one of those whole misses on a drive to the basket and made a 12-footer that ended up being the game's final points and difference maker. It's not a strategy Stanford can depend on against Arizona. You can't, play, you can't plan on getting so many second-chance opportunities, even in two comfortable wins over the Wildcats during the regular season. The Cardinal totaled 19 second-chance points. Rebounding will still be a huge key. The more possessions Stanford has, the less time McDonald will have her hands on the ball. So that's basically a look at what you can expect from Stanford as they prepare for Arizona. So, Stanford and Arizona are very familiar with each other. The Cardinals swept the Wildcats in two regular season meetings, winning by a combined 41 points, 81-54 in Tucson, Arizona, and on January 1, and 62-48 at Stanford on February 22nd. What will be different this time, and who is the early favorite? Stanford obviously remains the favorite, but I expect this game to be closer than the first two matchups, not only because McDonald has found her groove and Arizona has a group as a group has gained confidence. Barnes says something in her post-game news conference after the UConn win that really stuck out. Being like a top 10 team or being a top 12 team. It's a little bit harder than it is to be an unranked team chasing and trying to get wins, Barnes said. She felt all the pressure was on UConn, and her team could play freer and looser. In the national championship game, all the pressure will once again be on the opponent. Stanford is the number one overall seed and will be a heavy favorite to win its first national title since title in 29 years. This is not the same Arizona team that it played and beat this year. And Stanford cannot afford to overlook the Wildcats for that reason. I anticipate this will be a much better defensive effort from Arizona based on what we have seen throughout the tournament. 
And now Arizona knows what it takes to win big games like this. So let's look at the matchup of strength in the title game. Points per game, Arizona's defense, 52.2. Stanford's offense, 78.6. Three-point field goal per game. Arizona defense, 2.8. Stanford offense, 11. Three-point field goal percentage. Arizona's defense, 25%. Stanford's offense, 48%. Turnovers per game. Arizona's defense is forcing 16. Stanford is only coughing up 11 times a game. Even with those stats, it's saying it's still being said that Stanford still has to be considered the favorite. Those were convincing wins, and the Cardinals' defense was the story in both. But anyone who has been watching this tournament can tell this is a different Arizona team than the one that was playing in February. The reason is pretty simple. McDonald's shooting. She was a 30% three-point shooter before the NCAA tournament. In the big dance, McDonald is making 49% from deep and averaging 25.4 points. In Arizona's past three games against number two seed Texas A&M, number four seed Indiana, and number one seed UConn, she is averaging 30 points per game. She averaged 19.3 during the regular season. The opponents have gotten better, but McDonald has as well. If Arizona is to win on Sunday, her fortunes against the Cardinal will have to take an even greater jump forward. Stanford had a formula to slow her down. In the two regular season meetings, McDonald combined to shoot 11 for 46 from the field and one of 12 from three-point range, scoring a total of 32 points. Her shooting range seems to have jumped back about five feet in the past three weeks. But Cardinal guards Anna Wilson and Keanu Williams should be able to push McDonald back a bit farther because the fear of getting beat off the dribble shouldn't be as great with the length Stanford has on the back end of his defense. Cameron Brink, a 6'4 freshman forward, displayed how well she can protect the basket with six blocks against South Carolina. At 6'5, sophomore Ashton Pretchell can be a problem for Arizona, too. Sunday's final score should be closer as well, but defense will continue to be the storyline. That's a constant for both teams, perhaps where Stanford doesn't get enough credit. The question will be whether McDonald has one more brilliant game left in her. So the stage is set. Arizona. Stanford. Pac-12 showdown. Who comes out on top? It's too hard to tell. I want to go back and look at a story. Because women's sport has always had to fight to get their notoriety. I've worked with some people in radio and it doesn't mean that they're not my friend. They just had a different view on women's sports to where they didn't talk women's sports on their radio shows.
But there was a time in history, and they called it Jackie Mania, the year Jackie Styles became a phenomenon in the women's NCAA tournament. Jackie Styles had never been so happy in her life. Her fifth-seeded Southwest Missouri State women's basketball team, now known as Missouri State, had clinched a spot in the 2001 Women's Final Four the night before. And as the team's plane taxied into the small Springfield airport after their flight home against from the regional in Spokane, Washington, from in Washington, in Spokane, Washington, players and staff had less than 24 hours to race home, do laundry, and repack before heading to St. Louis for the national semifinals. I can't even describe the kind of draw I felt Styles said at that moment of that moment. It was like, is this real? Then when Styles and her teammates entered the airport terminal, it was pandemonium, she recalled. A sea of maroon, said Tom Ladd, radio voice of the Lady Bears. People wall to wall. They filled the entire building from where we came in to where we picked up the luggage. Clapping and smiling, cheering and back slapping. It was the neatest thing ever. Lady Bears normally would have been in and out of the airport within 10 minutes, but on March 27, 2001, there were hundreds of autographs to sign and photos to pose for. It took a couple of hours for the players to make their way through the crowd. An incredible scene of women's basketball, Style said. Excitement for the Lady Bears had been building for a decade. The program also had gone from gone to the 1992 Final Four, but it hit its zenith during that storybook 2001 season. A player who insisted on making 1,000 shots per day, who was so popular the team hired security to keep her from being interrupted by autograph seekers during the pregame warm-ups, Styles captivated the country. She broke the NCAA Division I scoring record, and fans fell in love with the Midwesterner sharp with the Midwestern sharpshooter with the infectious smile and an underdog team that took them on an unforgettable ride. Her scoring record has since been broken, and the school is now known as Missouri State. But 20 years later, it remains the last time a mid-major school reached the Women's Final Four, a feat that has grown even larger in retrospect. Each NCAA tournament, we watch to see if that transcendent player will emerge. Stars such as Texas's Texas Tech Cheryl Swoops, Tennessee's Shamik Holesclaw, Yukon's Brianna Stewart, and Notre Dame's Ariki Ogwambule did it. Current standout, Yukon's Paige Beck, Becker and Arizona's Ari McDonald are doing it in San Antonio now. But few embody the magnificent march more than Styles. Definitely, the magic of it is what I remember the most, Styles said. It gives me chills. Sometimes talking about it, reliving it. In some ways, Styles wishes. Her memories of that 2000-2001 season could freeze at that airport homecoming before an 81-64 national semifinal loss to Purdue in which the Lady Bears scored 40 points fewer than they had four days earlier and win the regional title against Washington. I have yet to watch that Purdue game tape, said then Lady Bears coach Cheryl Burnett, normally a fanatic film watcher. I'm not watching it ever. 
Burnett became the Lady Bears head coach in 1987 after three years as an assistant. She built her first Final Four team with Midwestern kids and used the same formula in the late 1990s. Styles, a five-foot-eight guard, was a wondrous talent from tiny Claflin, Kansas, about six hours from the Missouri State campus. She was close to signing with UConn, but couldn't forsake the program that had first scouted her in fifth grade. You know, Jackie was Jackie Styles in high school, too, said Carly Deer Stubblefield, a senior guard forward in, two, in 2001 and Styles' roommate. She didn't just become that in college. She was phenomenal. At camps, other players would be like, oh, it's Jackie. She had that star power to her. Missouri State averaged 4,899 fans at home games during its 1991-92 Final Four season. Over the next nine seasons, the Lady Bears drew more than a million fans and averaged 7,581 per home game during Styles' four seasons. The average at the average at Hammond Center was 7,847, peaking with a program best 8,435 her senior year, which included six sellouts. Let me also add, because I had a chance to see her play when they came to Wichita to play Wichita State. That game, every year she came, drew 10,000. I don't know if this is in the I don't know if this is in the in the article here, but that game would draw ten thousand. At the time, it was known as Levitt Arena, now known as Coke Arena. Unfortunately, those games Jackie Styles didn't win. Wichita State had a pretty decent team coached then at the time by Daryl Smith. But back to the story here, it felt like. The fans were right on top of the action. Yes, if you anybody you remember seeing games at the Hamlin Center or watching it, it seemed like the fans were on top of the action. So that's not a that's not a lie right there. It felt like the fans were right on top of the action, and it could be a very intimidating place for opponents. Lad said, "A great place for the home team, especially with those crowds. Oh my gosh, they were loud." especially when Styles had 30 points to become the NCAA scoring leader on March 1st, 2001, and then had 47 on March 10 when Missouri State won its conference tournament for the first time in her career. When we won the Missouri Valley final, the arena just stayed packed afterward for so long, Styles said. No one wanted to leave. The affable styles never fit the celebrity mode. No one had less of a star personality. Her father, Pat, is still a successful Kansas high school coach, and Styles was the consummate coach's kid who would sneak back into the gym when Burnett tried to kick her out. Styles was fanatical about workouts and shooting regimens. Their freshman year, Dear Stubblefield tried to keep up with her and was concerned when she couldn't. I came home one day and Jackie was napping on the couch, but her legs were moving as if she were running. Dear Stubblefield said, then I was like, okay, it's not me. She's just different. She was even exercising in her sleep. Styles was the perfect fit for Burnett, who believed her team could overcome any deficiency it had in general, 
by being as strong and in shape as possible. At 5 a.m. on the track, dear Stubblefield said, it would be us and the ROTC people out there. Styles averaged 20.6 points per game as a freshman and then 25.7 points per game as a sophomore and 27.8 her junior season. But Missouri State didn't get past the second round of the NCAA tournament. When the 2000-2001 season began, the Lady Bears set a goal to reach the nearby Final Four. But Styles closing in on the scoring record became just as big of a storyline. She did everything she could to avoid thinking or hearing about it asking Dear Stubblefield not to bring in newspapers or watch local news at their apartment. Meanwhile, people sent items to Styles' home in Claflin to be autographed. Pat and wife Pam did the best they could to get things signed and mailed back. But I bet if I looked around enough in the house now, Pam said, chuckling 20 years later, I could probably still find something we never got around to sending back. As the frenzy surrounding Styles and the team grew, fans sometimes approached her while she was warming up on the court. Styles had been rebuffed for an autograph by a local NFL star in high school when she and teammates approached him in a restaurant and asked him to sign their program for the Kansas State track meet, which they'd won. Remembering that, she vowed she would never say no to an autograph request. But Burnett made it so she didn't have to, hiring a former police officer as a team manager bodyguard to shoo away overzealous fans. He couldn't be everywhere, though. The night before the game in which Styles needed 20 points to break the scoring record, she and Deer Stubblefield went to a Burger King hoping for a quick bite. It soon became a madhouse, and they had to leave. It wasn't until later that Styles learned that someone had offered St. Louis Cardinal season tickets to one of her teammates in exchange for a ticket to the potential record-breaking game. The morning after getting the record, Styles was awakened by her clock radio, which was set to a local music station and was playing a tribute song, Thank You Jackie, that someone had composed for her. She really couldn't escape it, dear Stubblefield said, but with us, she could be herself. And there, once again, is so much more to that story that I would love to share. But what I am going to do now is I am going to go ahead and take a break here. And when I come back, I am going to, well, I think what I am going to do Because today we have the men's final four. But then again, you know, this story is so captivating about Jackie Styles. I think what I'm gonna do when I come back from my next break, I'm going to go ahead and conclude this story, and then we will get into the NCAA men's final four. And maybe I will have a guest on the phone. Maybe. I'm riding solo right now. That's by choice. But I may call my partner up and we may rock out my NCAA Men's Final Four segment. So stay tuned. A Train Sports Talk podcast. I will be back after these messages.
Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.kakeybums.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my next segment. And like I said, that Jackie Style story was so captivating. So I just figure, why not finish it? I mean, this is, we're talking about the women's final four and championship game being played on Sunday. So why not just give the women some love? You know, one, one of the things I used to enjoy doing when my daughter was younger we would, I would actually take my daughter to Wichita State women's basketball games and developed, actually developed relations and long-standing friendships with some of the ladies on that team back in the day. Uh, Kiyomi Johnson, I believe she ended up becoming a sheriff's deputy. Don't know if she's still here in town. Uh, Letitia Hill, I believe that was her name. And one I call my sister, and we still – Hit each other up every now and then. Uh, Tasha Barnett. So much so that even her kids, even though I haven't really got to interact with her children, and they're pretty much grown almost, I do believe. Those are my niece, my niece and nephew. <laughs> uh, wonderful, wonderful women. Wonderful people. But I used to take my daughter to Wichita State Women's Games and was able to see Jackie Styles play and it was just the atmosphere seeing people who were somebody you know TV personality even locally like Bruce Hurdle so yes I've always had a thing about women sports because even though the men are the high flyers the women they play with so much passion and all they want to do is entertain and get the same respect for what they do so with that being said I'm going to go ahead and give you the
rest of this story on Jackie Styles, Styles Mania or Jackie Mania. So after their conference tournament victory, the Lady Bears hoped to be a top 16 seed and get to host early round NCAA tournament games, both considering their 25 and 5 record in their attendance. But they were saddled with a number five seed in a sub-regional at Rutgers. For the Final Four dream to come true, Missouri State would have to win two games in Piscataway, New Jersey, then fly across the country to win two more in Spokane. For the fans, it also meant going to the East Coast and the Pacific Northwest and then back to Missouri in the space of about 10 days. Pat Styles rode a fan bus to New Jersey and back, then was part of a nine-person group along with Pam, who drove an RV to Washington. The Lady Bears made all the travel worth it. Tara Mitchum Glasgow, a Springfield native and one of four senior starters, stepped up with 40 points in a first-round win over Toledo. Styles was limited to 13 after going out because of concussion symptoms after she ran into a screen. But Styles returned to score 32 in beating the Scarlet Knights, who had been a Final Four team the year before on their home court. In Spokane, Styles had 41 points in upsetting number one seed Duke in the regional semifinals. The game was televised in primetime on Saturday night, and then Kansas men's basketball coach Roy Williams was among those who watched. He gushed about Styles in a news conference a few days later. On every play, Duke knew the ball was going to her. Every play, the ball went to her, and every play she scored, Williams said. It's a simple freaking game for that girl. If that didn't sound like the retired Roy Williams word right there, freaking, freaking. <laughs> oh, Roy Williams, hope he's enjoying retirement. She says, I don't care what you do. I'm coming there. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to score. And you ain't gonna guard me. I could have watched that game for 24 out for 24 hours. Then Duke coach Gail Gostencourse says she remembers seeing the Lady Bears at the pre-regional banquet and being amazed at how fit they looked. In the game, we cannot keep the ball out of Jackie's hands. She found a way to take advantage of everybody we put on her, said Gostencourse who had future WNBA Defensive Player of the Year, Alana Beard, on her team then. Wow. We went through our plans, A, B, C, and D. Current Oregon coach, Kelly Graves, who was early on his stint as Gonzaga's coach at the time, attended that game in Spokane. He compares the Styles phenomenon to that of guard Courtney Vandersloot at Gonzaga a decade later. Vandersloot is now with the Chicago Sky and one of the top point guards in WNBA history. They were kind of average-sized kids, five foot eight tall, but really great athletes and players, Graveset of Styles and Vandersloot. And their communities just fell in love with them. Everything clicked in the regional semifinal against Washington, with Styles scoring 32 points again and a 104-87 win. Then came the whirlwind, the flight home, the airport celebration, the bus ride to St. Louis, the media obligation, the open practices, the 
pre-Final Four banquet. For Styles, there was a side trip to accept the Wade Trophy as the National Player of the Year at a presentation at the Men's Final Four in Minnesota. It left an already weary Styles even more spent. Styles remembered crying before the banquet because she had no time to fix her hair. But I wasn't actually crying about my hair, of course, she said. I was just exhausted. We all were. There were many more tears after the loss to Purdue, and if Styles thinks about it long enough, now she will still tear up. The Lady Bears really thought they could win the national championship, but they ran out of gas. Styles had 22 points on 33% shooting, 7 of 21. She came into the game shooting 57.4% for the season. The title went to Notre Dame. The other three Final Four teams, which included UConn, had gotten to play at home in the early rounds. Styles averaged 30.3 points as a senior and finished her career with 3,393 points. That led Division I until Washington's Kelsey Plum, 3,527 points, broke Styles' record in 2017. Ohio State's Kelsey Mitchell moved into second place with 3,402 in 2018. Styles is third. She played 129 career games, 10 fewer than both Plum and Mitchell. Just like Burnett, Styles hasn't watched Purdue loss. The city of Springfield still threw a parade and there was another autograph session at Hammond's for the 2001 Lady Bears. It put a happier ending on everything when I look back, dear Stubblefield said, instead of just ending with us crying on the bench. Burnett agonized after the Final Four loss, second-guessing herself even in a season in which she made sure the Lady Bears were in the best of shape of their lives. There was little she could have done about the toll, toll that travel and no time for rest had taken on them heading into the national semifinal. About two weeks later, Burnett called then Tennessee coach Pat Summit asking what she could have done differently. She said, we never go inside the airport when we come home, Burnett said. I guess that would have saved a little time, but I don't think I could have done that to all those people. They were the ones who made us. The players cherished the memory. I wouldn't trade that for anything, dear Stubblefield said. I mean, especially after what we've been through this past year with COVID, when you can't hug your friends, let alone shake hands and hug strangers, something like that couldn't happen now. Could another season like 2001 happen in Springfield or in another mid-major town? You think it has to? Eventually. You think it has to, eventually, but it will be 21 years by the next NCAA tournament. The current Missouri State team has been to the Sweet 16 in the past two NCAA tournaments. Sunday in San Antonio, the Lady Bears lost 89-62 in the regional semifinals to overall number one seed Stanford. They play in different home arena now, but their goals are the same as the Lady Bears of the past. This program has been the two Final Four, Missouri State coach Amika Agua Hamilton said, and that's what we're working on, working to get back to. Styles, who has been an assistant coach at her alma mater and most recently at Oklahoma, hopes to see it happen again. That another group of young women will get to feel what she and her teammates did then. I thought for a lot of years, man, this might have ruined the rest 
of my life because what will I experience that will ever compare to that? She said, it was just so special. But now when I think about it, I'm just so grateful we all got to live through that time. So there concludes that Jackie Mania story. One, I hope you enjoyed and with all that we've been through with the pandemic, NCAA tournament being pretty much canceled out last year, to be able to watch it this year, even with no fans or limited fans, and to be able to say after the clock strike zero, to say, hey, we made it through a college women's basketball season. Then Monday we get to look and say, hey, we made it through a college men's basketball season. You have to credit these young men and young women because this is still abnormal. You're still at best playing in a pandemic. Don't know who has what. Who's to say that the game tomorrow may have to be pushed back because all of a sudden there's a COVID case? I mean, not only is it physically demanding, it's mentally demanding because of all the things you have to think of. So if you haven't, if you are listening to this podcast and you are one that haven't appreciated women's sports and what they do, maybe after this season, and you realize that it's not all just about the game, but all about the preparation, the physical as well as the mental hats off to these kids. I hope if you see one of these young men, young women walking around in your respective states, you get to see them. Simply say these two words to them. Thank you. Say that to them. Thank you. These kids aren't making millions of dollars like the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. They're going to school. Entertain us putting money in the school's budget. School's getting TV deals. They put these kids on TV. And I use the word kids lightly. I, they put these young maturing adults on TV to entertain us. The least we can do is say thank you. Yes, this podcast is going to be a little bit longer than normal. Stay tuned. I got more to come. Train is just now getting rolling. Better get on board. Grab your ticket. I'm pulling in for a stop. So grab your ticket. Get on board. Enjoy the ride. Be back after these messages. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light medium and heavy only at www.kakeybums.com that's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.kakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about
Anthony Smith here with A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Welcome back, and as I said, this will probably be one of my longest podcasts, even going solo, because there's so much to get to, and we a lot has happened. I mean, I, I even want to talk some Major League Baseball. It doesn't look like I'm going to get to that, because this is pretty much final for a weekend, and there has been a lot that has taken place. Uh, of course, we know this week, Roy Williams has retired from coaching. After Lord knows how long, he only had two head coaching jobs, too. University of Kansas, North Carolina. And I hope now that he has retired, I hope there are there are still those few Kansas basketball fans that just won't leave well enough alone. And if I ruffle your feathers with what I'm about to say, keep in mind that this is my podcast. Keep in mind that we live in a country where we have the freedom of speech. Y'all exercised y'all freedom of speech when the man left and went back home. Now, in most cases, they say in the job world, if you're going to get another job, make sure it's a step up and not a lateral job. Kansas to North Carolina was a lateral job, but there was more to it than just the job. It was home. Now, get this. I deal with people on a regular basis. So I have to throw this out there. I deal with people on a regular basis. There are some people that I know that have moved away from Wichita, Kansas, and have moved back. Val, they would never move back. And then we ask them, why did you move back? Some of them say, the health of my parents was failing. I had to come back to be closer to my parents. And I would never thought I would be saying this on the podcast because you would think that in time people would get over some things. But there are still some salty Kansas Jayhawk fans that will not forgive this man for going back home. They feel like he betrayed them. But at the end of the day, not only did he go back home to North Carolina after the second time that they had pitched him to come. But it wasn't just the school. It wasn't the fact that Dean Smith himself even put his name out there, say, Roy, you need to come back home. The man had parents. This man is in Kansas. His parents are back in North Carolina. Let's put stuff into perspective. And I know there's going to be something that's going to disagree with me. That's fine. You have that prerogative. But when you think about your situation and why can you move from one place but end up moving back and you say it was because you need to be close to your parents, this man needed to be close to his parents. At the end of the day, the man still believes Jayhawk Blue, Carolina Blue. He has the utmost respect for the program. 
but he also has respect for the game of basketball. As you heard in that article that I read earlier about Jackie Styles, how he was gushing and how well she played. He loves the game of basketball, and he has given so much to the game of basketball. He has imparted so much into the lives of these young men that he coached, those that played for him. At the end of the day, I'm pretty sure former Kansas players, former North Carolina players, at the end of the day, they will have more good to say about Coach Roy Williams than those Kansas fans can say something bad. I just had to get that off my chest. I've been waiting to do that, and I have my own platform. I can do that now. So I've spent four minutes ranting and raving. Now, let's get on into some talk because we're talking coaches moving. Yes. I guess Mark Pugh doesn't have influence over a lot of people. Why would I throw out Mark Pugh's name? Because he's been at Gonzaga forever in a day. So there was a program building up, and you just knew this coach was going to be there a while and help build this program up and keep it at a consistent level. He's in a market where he compete against teams in the Big Ten for recruits. He just knocked off his in-state rival in the tournament. And you're looking at, like, they done been to a Final Four. They done been to a Sweet 16. They've either won or shared the Missouri Valley Conference title. Sounds like a good buildup. As long as this guy's there, you're going to hear about Loyola Chicago. That was until Lon Kruger decided to pull a row. He was also retired this week. And Joe Castleagon went after his man. Loyola Chicago. Porter Moser has been hired as Oklahoma men's basketball coach. Oh, yes, like director Joe Castellagone announced Saturday. Moser has been one of the hottest mid-major coaches in the country since leading Loyola Chicago to the Final Four in 2018. Since then, he has led the Ramblers to at least a share of two Missouri Valley Conference regular season championships, then went 26-5 this season, beating Georgia Tech and number one seed Illinois en route to a Sweet 16 appearance. I've always said there are reasons why you win. If you look at the standards that the programs at Oklahoma have set, there are reasons why they won, Moshe said in the statement. The coaches, infrastructure, and community are all championship caliber. You just want to be a part of that. To play in the Premier League like the Big 12 and be a part of this championship culture excites me. A Naperville, Illinois native, Mosher hasn't jumped at high major coaching opportunities over the past couple of seasons. St. John's pursued him after Chris Mullins stepped down, but Mosher returned to Loyola. He was linked to various openings this spring, but appeared likely to head back to the Ramblers until Oklahoma coach Lon Kruger retired late last month. Castillo um, quickly zeroed in on Mosher and he had been the clear leader for the job the past couple of days. We are absolutely thrilled to announce and welcome Porter Mosher as our next great OU coach. That was said in the statement. As we dug deep into the backgrounds of candidates, his attributes, 
acumen and record of success totally aligned with what we were seeking. Oklahoma will introduce Mosier at a news conference next week. Mosier began his coaching career in 1990 as an assistant coach at Creighton, his alma mater. He also spent time as an assistant coach at Texas A&M, Milwaukee, Arkansas Little Rock, and St. Louis. Mosier was also head coach at Arkansas Little Rock and Illinois State. It is impossible to properly thank Porter for all he's done for our basketball program and university. Loyola Chicago Athletic Director Steve Watson said in a statement, his vision and his leadership brought Loyola to new heights and Ramblers everywhere will be eternally grateful. A huge thank you and best wishes from all Ramblers are rightfully being extended to Porter and his family as they embark on their next journey. Kruger retired after 45 years in coaching. He had been at Oklahoma for the past decade, leading the Sooners to seven NCAA tournaments and a Final Four appearance in 2016. And keeping in with the Loyola Chicago, Loyola Chicago basketball is expected to promote Drew Valentine to replace Porter Mosier, sources say. Loyola Chicago is expected to promote Ramblers assistant coach Drew Valentine to replace departing men's basketball coach Porter Moser, sources told ESPN. Final contract details were still being worked out as of Saturday morning, sources said. Valentine, the older brother of Chicago Bulls and wing Denzel Valentine, has been on Moser's staff at Loyola Chicago for four seasons. In that time, the Ramblers have won three Missouri Valley Conference regular season titles, Going to two NCAA tournaments and made the final made the final four run in 2018. Valentine began his coaching career as a graduate manager at Michigan State, where his brother played. He then spent two seasons as an assistant at Oakland, his alma mater, before moving to Loyola Chicago. Moser is leaving Loyola Chicago to replace Lon Kruger as the head coach at Oklahoma. So hopefully. Valentine can keep that ball rolling. So good luck to Drew. Looking at more college basketball, Trevor Kills commits to Duke, giving Blue Devils three five-stars in 2021 basketball class. Five-star guard Trevor Kills committed to Duke basketball Friday afternoon, giving the Blue Devils their third five-star prospect in the 2021 class. Kills chose Coach Mike Krzyzewski's program over a final list that also included Virginia, Villanova, and Kentucky. Me and Coach K have a great relationship, Kills, Kills to the ESPN. He was always the same during the process, straightforward guy. He told me what I needed to hear. He told me to, told me to change my body. I did, and now I'm lighter and more explosive. My game is not complete. I trust K and Duke. I trust Coach K and Duke to help me reach my goals of playing in the NBA. I am not looking just at the NBA. My focus is on the Duke team and winning college basketball games. At six foot five, a six foot five shooting guard from Paul Five High School in Northern Virginia. Kills is ranked number 19 overall in the ESPN 100 for 2021, slotting in as the number four shooting guard in the country. He played on the grassroots circuit with team takeover, averaging 10.9 points per game in the spring and summer of 2019. Kills has several big scoring outings during the high school season, averaging 25 points in two games in the 
NIBC Invitational in January. Kills joins front court players Paulo Benchero, number three, and A.J. Griffin, number 14, as five-star prospects in Duke's 2021 class. Paolo Benchero has been recruiting me since he committed, Kills said. He could be a lottery pick, but cares more about winning. That's what I that's what I am about. Kills will also link up with former Paul Five teammate when he gets to Durham in point guard Jeremy Roach, who started 18 games as a freshman this season. It was big, Kills said of Roach being at Duke. I played with him for four years and we had success. He is a competitor. I learned from him at Paul Five. We had a lot of conversations about Duke. He was an, he was honest about everything. I trust him both on and off the court. A highly competitive player with impressive basketball instinct kills brings Duke, an immediate floor spacer from the outside, who has chemistry with Roach. Kills has a long bot has a college ready body, and his strength allows him to finish through contact and take defenders off the dribble. He is best at putting pressure on a defense with his consistent jumper. He displays little to no wasted motion in his attack, which makes him effective and efficient. He can hit the three-point line in transition while in the half-court set. Kills is more than a shot maker. He is a scorer who understands how to read his man and use an off-ball screen or make scoring cut making or make a scoring cut with purpose. Kills will replace D.J. Stewart, who left Thursday for the NBA draft after one season with the Blue Devils. Krzyzewski also already lost former five-star prospect Jalen Johnson before the end of the season. And leading scorer Matthew Hurt is ranked as a top 50 NBA prospect and could depart as well. Jordan Goldwire, Jamin Breaker, Breakfield, and Patrick Tate all entered the transfer portal. So there you have some college news. So with that, we are going to now focus our attention on the men's final four. Will anyone disrupt the Gonzaga Baylor? Collision. And I'm pretty sure everybody who is somebody has something to say about this. And we are definitely going to find out what is being said around the water cooler. Gets it into Smith. Dribbles down the left side in four seconds. Smith pulls up left wing three ball. Around it off no good. Rebound tipped out of bounds off UCLA. The horn is sounded, but there's going to be time left. Dickinson is going to inbound. Takes the basketball. Dickinson looking. Fires it in. Bogner turns. Fires a three for the win. No good. Off the back of the rim. And UCLA has won it from the first four to the final four. UCLA 51, Michigan 49 for the 19th time in school history. The first since 2008. The Bruins are going to the final four. Yes, that's right. You've heard that. 
the Bruins are going to the final four, from the first four to the final four. Oh, in case you missed it, they're going to their 19th final four. I told a co-worker yesterday, I said, basketball was birthed in the state of Kansas. It was born in the state of Kansas. Basketball was born in the state of Kansas. Championships were reared in UCLA. Let that marinate for a while. Twenty twenty one Final Four is here in men's college basketball and is dominated by heavyweights and historic programs. Even in an NCAA tournament in which Cinderella received plenty of of the spotlight, the penultimate and ultimate stages will feature two teams that were talked about all season long: the Gonzaga Bulldogs and the Baylor Bears, as well as Houston Cougars and UCLA Bruins, squads that have had hoops greatness written into their DNA for decades. As the game takes a breath before Saturday's final four, The discussion seemingly and inevitably is about the matchup of destiny that has been Gonzaga versus Baylor. The biggest obstacles in the path of the 2020-21 campaign's top two programs. The Final Four coach who has done the best job this season and the oddities of an event played amid the realities of the coronavirus pandemic. So, here are some questions that have been thrown out. With apologies to Houston and UCLA, we've seemingly been trending toward a Gonzaga-Baylor National Championship game since November and probably before. As you look at the Final Four matchups, what is the single biggest threat to a Zags-Bears meeting on Monday night? Well, here are some answers. I think history is the greatest threat for Gonzaga. Once the NCAA expanded the field in 1985 and put six games between a team and the national championship. No team has entered the event with a perfect record and left with one. The 1975-76 Indiana team's perfect season unfolded just a year after the field had been expanded to 32 teams. That was 45 years ago. Then Larry Bird ran into Magic Johnson in 1979. The 1990-91 UNLV squad had destroyed ranked teams that season before losing to Duke. The running Rebels seemed invincible. Wichita State had an uphill climb with Kentucky waiting for it in the second round in 2014. But the 2015 Kentucky squad was a juggernaut. All of them lost. Tuesday's effort by Gonzaga suggests there might be a gap between the Bulldogs and the remaining teams. Even Baylor, although the Bears have offered plenty of evidence they can win evidence they can win that game if it happens. Houston just keeps neutralizing opponents. 
and UCLA in the UCLA run capped by a win over Michigan in the Elite Eight. Wild. All three of these other teams can be dangerous over 45 years. However, others like Gonzaga have reached this point and it just didn't happen. Gonzaga might be different, but the Bulldogs are fighting history and the team standing in their way. So what are the other things that could be standing in their way? Well, Houston's offensive rebounding. The Cougars are the second best offensive rebounding team in the country, and they absolutely destroyed Oregon State on the glass in the Elite Eight, setting second chance opportunity after second chance opportunity against the Beavers' defense, zone defense. Baylor doesn't have too many weaknesses, but one of them is the Bears' defensive rebounding issue. They finished eighth in the Big 12 in defensive rebounding percentage, and they're in the bottom 100 nationally in that category. I don't think Houston is going to be intimidated by Baylor on Saturday night. The Cougars are physical and tough, and they don't expect to win pretty. If they can dominate the glass, they'll have a shot at ruining the Gonzaga-Baylor dream matchup. So we have Mark Pugh, Scott Drew, Kelvin Sampson, and Mick Cronin are your final four coaches. The debate on who has the best team might be too easy. So which of these four gentlemen has done the best job in 2020-21? Hard to go against Mick Cronin right now in terms of March performance. The Bruins lost Chris Smith, arguably their best player, to a torn ACL. <clears throat> Jalen Hill has been out for personal reasons. The Bruins looked lost over the final few weeks of the season, losing four in a row before the NCAA tournament. And then they were left for dead after being down by 13 in the first half to Michigan State in the final in the in the first four. The Bruins haven't lost since. And they've looked in control for most of the past 165 minutes of basketball. Cronin had questions facing him when he took over the UCLA job. How would a how would he, a Midwest guy, through and through, adapt to Los Angeles? How would his brand of basketball, physical, grueling, half-court basketball, adapt to a fan base expecting fireworks and five stars? He has answered those questions less than two years after being hired. Cronin has the Bruins in the final four. Bobby Knight was the coach of the year in 1976 when Indiana completed the last undefeated national championship season. With or without that distinction in 2021, Gonzaga has dominated the sport unlike any team since UNLV in 1990, 1991. Mark Few built and he has them playing at a ridiculously high level that screams did the best job to me in every way it can be said. More thoughts on that question. Mark Few didn't reach his first final, his first Elite Eight until his 16th season as a head coach. Kelvin Sampson did it in his 15th season. 
as a Division I head coach. Scott Drew pulled it off in his seventh season. It took Mick Cronin 18 seasons and three schools to achieve that feat. Now Cronin has led UCLA back to the Final Four. This run has been nothing short of magical. If anyone doubted the initial start of this run, it's impossible for them to deny the value of wins over Alabama and Michigan, two teams that entered the NCAA tournament with legit Final Four aspirations. It doesn't matter what happens next. Cronin is certainly the most impressive coach in the mix right now. This is one of the most remarkable turnarounds we've seen in college basketball. So there you have a look at some of the thoughts going into today's Final Four games, which I'll be watching with a lot of interest. And chances are I'll probably be back with you on Sunday night to give my insight on who I think will walk away and hoist that national championship trophy up Monday night. And, of course, take a look at the championship game between Arizona and Stanford. So, until the next time, and maybe I'll have a guest on with me next time, but until the next time, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy your Resurrection Sunday, or some call it Easter Sunday. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games. Until next time, this is the A-Train signing off. Be blessed. Be a blessing.